0: Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Dream Nation Love Podcast. I'm your host, Yulia, and here we are together, chugging along in 2021. It's been a really wild ride. I hope you are listening to the show and it's bringing you happiness. You can find it and subscribe on Spotify, and you can also reach out and say hello on Instagram at Dream Nation Love. I am super accessible. I'm here. Say high. It's a small world, right? And we're doing our thing and we're bringing you really amazing interviews every month. And today's guest is P.B. Siebert. She's a singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist who's also known for being Kesha's mom. Now, I am a huge fan of both Kesha and Dolly Parton. So when I heard Kesha cover Old Flames Can't Hold a Candle to You, Dear on the Rainbow album, I took some time to see who wrote the song. I mean, I love that song. Dolly's rendition is phenomenal. Kesha's rendition is phenomenal. It's an amazing song, and it's actually my wedding song. That's how special it is to me. I was blown away to see that P. B. Stewart wrote this song. He wrote it in the '70s with her then-husband Hugh Moffat for country singer Joe Sun, and then Dolly got a hold of it. Such an awesome song. P. B. such an amazing musician, and it's no surprise that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And along with writing songs for Kesha, P. B. has written for Miranda Cosgrove. Miley Cyrus, Pitbull, Schoolgirls, and writers in the Sky. Recently, PB launched Magic Mission. It's a nonprofit dedicated to improving the lives of cats and dogs in Central America, supporting community education, spray and neuter programs, as well as adoption programs. This is so awesome because right now we're in a pandemic and there's a dog shortage right here. So it's really hard to find a dog in America. So why not adopt one from Central America? This is a really fun podcast PB talks about music, aliens, her love of animals, and so much more. Enjoy the show and definitely share the love in the podcast with a friend. And like I said, make sure you subscribe to us on Spotify and follow us on Instagram at DreamNationLove. Love Love you.
1: PB Sebert, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh,
2: thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I I
1: love your music. And I'm so excited to have you here. Where do I begin? It's like, I guess I begin at the start. <laughs> I know you started performing at like the age of four and six, you got into music really, really early. But I'm wondering
2: what your dream was as a kid growing up? Well, so it's funny, because I just came into this life with like, it was all laid out for me i literally was my parents were were first generation my mom was sh- straight up the boat from hungary you know she spoke english but like was not entrenched in any of the american i mean nightmare we can call it dream or nightmare but i choose to call it nightmare but she was like not all about the American stuff. It was pretty much, you know, they got off the boat, it was survive. It was like grow your food and pretty basic stuff. So, and I came in and, and was like, I'm going to make records and write songs. And I think I told my mom that when I was like two or three years old and we're out in the farm and my dad is a farmer and they're like, well, okay. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, out of nowhere. It wasn't like the family thing. And and she was so great because she actually like sought out help and put me in voice lessons and piano lessons and you know and this was all very foreign to this family. So nobody did this kind of thing. So she like sought it out and found, you know, ways for me to follow my passion, which I just came in with it. I said I was going to write songs and make records. I remember they gave me a little record player for Christmas when I was like three years old. And I guess I was playing it one day and, you know, I think I still have the thing somewhere, but I was playing records and there was a singer singing like a Disney song. And I said, well, I'm going to make records and sing like this and I'm going to write the songs. And, And it was never, it was really never questioned after that about what I was going to do.
1: You just had it like off the bat. You knew your mission in life.
2: Yeah, I came in. I came in with a certain thing I was going to do. And I don't know, you know, what the reason, I mean... I know that I followed my own passion. I know ultimately, you know, Kesha's work is the work that I feel like is changing the world. And she's a voice for the voiceless. And I mean, she's become a huge voice for the LGBTQ. LGBTQ. I don't mean to be disrespectful. I, I literally can barely remember my grandchildren's name. So, you know, I feel like like her being a voice for them. And, you know, I've met so many people in my travels with her, so many, I can't even tell you how many people who've come up to me and said, if it wasn't for Kesha and her music, I would have killed myself because nobody understood what it was like to be a 10 or 11 or 12-year-old gay kid somewhere. It doesn't matter where. It doesn't, I mean, but particularly Mm -hmm. in... Oklahoma or wherever it's just like, and they're like, I didn't feel so alone because of her music. And, you know, if my reason for being born was so that I could raise her and she could do that for people, you know, I feel like mission accomplished, but I have my own goals as well. And, but I feel like, you know, maybe that's why I was born to, to do this music thing. So she could, be that voice for the voiceless people.
1: I think so. I think there's always a mission. And I think there's always like a a, a higher purpose. And yes. I think if you're open to it, you can tap into your higher purpose. But if you are not, then you won't. But everybody has a higher purpose. Yes. And they just have to follow the gut, you know, and they have to just have people who support them too. Right. You know, whether it's in the family or, or if it's somebody like Kesha outside where, you know, I've, I've listened to Kesha so many times when I've had like a crappy day. I've just been like, oh. I had one, I had one ex-boyfriend who was really into the Beatles and Grateful Dead and mm-hmm. wonderful bands. Love them both. Sing along. He didn't like Kesha. He didn't like female vocals. He would turn down Erica Badu. And mm-hmm. I was like, and I was like, he's not on my frequency. And then when I met my husband, we were driving and I just had like Kesha on a road trip and he's like, I love Kesha. Turn it up. You love Kesha? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, I was like, this is my person. Yep. This is my human.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, you just can't be mad at Kesha Music. You just can't. Like, there's, very, I mean, other than she has a potty mouth, but she literally has the biggest heart of any human that's ever lived. And if you hate Kesha Music, you probably hate puppies and kittens, you know, he did. He maybe did. babies, <laughs> who knows, you just, but she's very innocent and like nothing but actually love from her. So in the most real way and, and I'm proud of her for that
1: to love your love and and it's amplifying love
2: that's really all there is you know when it all I've been listening to a lot of Eckhart Tolle recently who I think is one of the highest living beings in our time him and Dalai Lama are, are you know two people that I will listen to you know I like Joe Rogan but that's entertainment value but as far as moral compass Eckhart Tolle is a big one for me and
1: And that book changed my life too. What is it? The book of, um, be here. Wait, is it be here now?
2: Oh, uh, the power now.
1: I read it and I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. I'm always like living in the tomorrow. Like I'm always in the future. That book is amazing.
2: It's so crazy because I go for these long walks. There's a place near me. I live right outside Nashville, and there's this beautiful park called Radnor Lake that's a state park, but it's literally probably about seven minutes from my door, and I drive over there almost every day and walk. Well, actually, this is a crazy story. A friend of mine, one of my best friends, Eileen, we all met through this one particular dog. It was a German Shepherd and his name was Stetson. Stetson had passed away the day before. And so I went to Radnor and I'd already started to experience, like I've had some experience with connect with spirits on the other side. I had an experience with one of my dogs and a cat that were both on the other side. One time when I was up at learning past life regression with Brian Weiss at the what Institute in New York? It's uh, the Omega Institute.
1: I haven't been there, but I've driven by it. I've been, it's been on my radar.
2: Yeah. So I went and took a week long past life regression with Brian Weiss, which was incredible. But up there walking for the first time, I connected like so vividly in the woods with these two animals and they were walking with me and they were just letting me know that that they were with me. And, and like really, whenever I wanted to see and feel them, that they were there. And, you know, at my house, there's so many live animals. They literally told me, you don't notice this at home because there's too many live animals that are doing what the live animals do, which is bark and jump around. And, but these two were like, we're there and we're with you all the time. And so I went the day after my friend's dog passed and she knew that I'd experienced seeing these other animals. She said, will you try and talk to Stetson when you go to Radnor? And I, and as soon as I like kind of turn my mind to that like it's literally like a switch like I turn the songwriting switch on like I can go from buying groceries and putting the groceries away to writing a hit song with Kesha or whoever in five minutes it's just a switch I don't need to work up to it and this was a switch like as soon as I switched on that okay I'm gonna like try and feel and sense Somebody or something on the other side, like I immediately saw the dog and he's running through the woods. And, you know, and I, we have a lot of other animals that have passed on. And, you know, I, I could see him out of the corner of my eye, basically, but Stetson was there and he was letting me know that he was. He was good. And so basically in that time, over the next month or two of that time, which was a few years ago, I started walking and I was like, okay, who else is here? And literally one day, this one spirit spelled its name to me in my head, but it to spell both of them did. And one was was Nema, and the other was Amo, A-M-O, N-E-M-A. Uh, And I've gone to see people since then and been in like healing situations. We were at Olivia Newton-John's healing spa in Australia earlier this year. And and when we were there, I saw a, a psychic and a lady who said, yeah, these spirits have been the ones who've been with you your entire life. I've learned to listen to them and they just tell me things like they told me last year when there was going to be an earthquake in LA, they said that an earthquake is coming. I told Kesha and a couple of days later there was an earthquake. It was only like a four, but still it was like, so they, and a friend of mine's brother passed away recently. And I spoke to him and gave him some information. He'd already gotten confirmed from another source that was directly from his brother, like something his brother had actually said, was crazy. So, I mean, these spirits are very powerful and very available to me. So, but I mean, the bottom line of Eckhart Tolle and the spirits and everything is that it's just the bottom line is love is the only thing that's real. Everything else is not real.
1: Have you ever been to the Integratron in Joshua Tree?
2: I want to go. I've not been.
1: Oh my God. I've only been... Three times, and it's you know it's an absolute perfect sound right. chamber, right? And then it was built to like magnify. It had a spinning mechanism. Like if you read, if you, you go know. on the website, if you go down that rabbit hole, it's so interesting because he created this perfect sound sculpture to wow. amplify love on planet That's Earth. Crazy. Oh, the crazy thing is, he had aliens tell him to build it. He in his dream had. Moses's tabernacle plans, not including any nails, like it's a perfect dome. And it's the only structure that withstood earthquakes in that area since the 60s. Every house, like, got destroyed except this place with no nails. And I can go on forever because you've been in there. I've been in there three times and it's the only structure that he built and he wanted to build these stations all around the U S he was supposed to go on some kind of like a late night talk show to talk about it he died and they think that his wife was like some CIA sent agent who was like sent to exterminate him and she like poisoned him or something. so this man never got to live his mission but my long story is it's perfectly sound and they do these sound baths which is gonna be like my life goal like when I like in a few years I'm gonna get a bunch of like sound bowls and like just they're so
2: that's what my son is doing my youngest son is doing that but go on.
1: I love them. So they do this like whole entire sound bowl ceremony in this perfect dome. So the sound completely vibrates through you through this majestic wood. But when you're there, the first message that you usually get, if you're tuned in, some people just fall asleep. So like, I would say, like, try to rent out the place or like, try to go on a really slow day, because I've been on like a day where it's quiet. And I've been on a day where it's like private. And then I've been on a day where it's noisy and like, the people who are not unconscious, they're just going to snore and they're not going to be present, right? They're not here now. So they're going to tune out. But if you stay through it, it is such a cool experience because you're going to get messages wherever these messages are sent from if you're tuned in. And the first message is, you know, like everything is love. So that was the first message that I got there. And then I took my man there. And I was like, what do you think? How's your experience? He's like, I just got the message that everything is love. I'm like cool cool but then the cool thing is as the frequencies go up um you see the different colors of the chakras because all the different frequencies activate all of your different chakras so it goes from like you know whatever red to like violet and the first time i was like and it gets really trippy like (laughs) i'm like doing an ad for the integratron, but if you're present you're totally present like i had some lady walking out who was like I, I just saw every guy I dated through all my past lives, even like George Washington down to like some reptilian.
2: Wait, so what is the experience? Like does they shut you in there and like just, do you spin or what happens?
1: You just lay there for like probably half an hour, maybe 45 minutes at the most, maybe 25. I don't remember. Time kind of stops.
2: You just go in and lay down.
1: You just go and lay down on the mat and you just meditate and you just, you know, just, just stay focused, just breathe. And try not to fall asleep while they do these, um, crystal bowls and the frequencies get higher and higher and higher. Wow. It it is a trip. Last time I got the message of I should be a cloud artist and I was like, ooh, dream nation. I was like, Georgia will keep cloud
2: artist. (laughs) Wow. That's, so that's where you got your title, your dream nation.
1: That was, that was a year later, a year later. And I was like, that's weird. And it was like, do more like artwork, like Magritte on top of it. And I was like, that's really bizarre, but like just different weird messages.
2: (laughs) That's what I get. I get that kind of stuff all the time when I go to the park, when I listen. And once again, it's the whole power now thing where like, I'll catch myself when I'm walking and I'm like thinking about like just garbage, garbage, garbage like that does it like is my internet going fast enough or like things that like on the level don't matter or underneath the ground and and i keep having to make myself come back that's why i've been listening to the eckhart tolle the new earth which is like intense stuff it's so simple like it's so simple that it's like it sounds so simple that it sounds stupid But then when you actually listen to it, like I could have probably not really understood what this stuff meant at a certain points in my life because I wasn't clean enough to have the true meaning of what he's talking about go in my head, which is, you know, basically everything we spend most of our time doing is just bullshit. Everything about fame and fortune, like I chased that you know, that was a goal because I was, you know, in music and I wanted, like, I've really wanted to just write a hit song. The whole, like, chase the fame and the fortune for myself as an artist. But in my particular case, I was an addict and was, I was born an addict. I just was addicted my entire life to something. Like, it was food in the beginning. I was really overweight. And then I you know, I discovered I could be anorexic, which I was like starting at 10. And then I found like diet pills or speed, which would make me not only focus, but help me not be so hungry all the time. And then I had to drink to like take the edge off of the the speed and, you know, pain pills. I was just a mess of a human, which was great for my creative But it was not so good for my music career, even though I did manage throughout all that to become successful. And I'm sure I would have done a lot better had I not been such a mess because, you know, you just you don't do things when you're an addict it's all about the drug or the alcohol or the high. It's more about that than it was about creating. But I mean, it was very much about the creating for many years. But then I just at one point pretty much crashed when I was in LA, when I was about to have a big record come out and everything, you know, I'd I'd really worked hard to get there. And then, but I would like kind of built this house of cards Yeah, out of very shaky, shaky uh, structure because, you know, underneath it all, I was just a wreck of a human being. So I had it all built up and things were about to take off. And I really do believe in my heart. And it's not just like sour grapes that I would have died if I'd becomes you know, famous, which was so close to happening. And I've got some of the music that I think I'm going to put out sometime soon. Kesha wants to redo a few of the songs from my artist career, but I do believe I would have been successful and famous and I probably would have lasted a year or two and probably died for sure. So I think at that point in time, my, my life fell apart and in the middle of all that, I already had my one son, and I was out in L.A. My marriage had fallen apart, so I'm just out in L.A. with my son. And I decided it would be a great idea to get pregnant, which is just because, you know, i lost my record deal, and I told my publisher to go fuck himself because – because he said, it's no wonder your husband ran off with somebody else because you're always out in LA working on your career, which was true. So I'm like, well, you know, fuck you. Cause I was just trying to write better songs. That's why I ended up getting the, he ended up running off with another woman. So when he sided in with, it's like, I, I would have left you too. You're never at home. So I'm like, okay, fuck you. So I had no publishing deal, no record deal. My, I just like, when my husband and I split up, I ran off to the valley and rented a duplex out in the valley. And the only people who knew where I was basically was the drug dealer. And I had my son Lagan was like four. And um, in the midst of all that, there was a band in the back, and a few of the band members. One actually lived in the driveway in his truck part time, and the other one lived in a garage and. I decided I wanted another kid, and, you know, one of those lucky guys is the winner of the Kesha sperm race the race to the egg. <laughs> We've never been sure who it was, but I remember at one point in time when she first went to LA, uh, when she was like 18, after she'd already signed something, and she went out there, she decided to stay with one of them, and, but she was going to go have lunch with the other one. And I said, Why don't you look at them both at lunch and see who you think you look most like? And that made her so mad. I know she went out and like put a $300 pair of shoes on my credit card. But <laughs> so, in the process, in my process of doing and becoming, was not to be the artist. I, you know, was way too volatile. Thank God I got sober, you know. Straighten my shit out. And, and, uh, we didn't stay in LA. Well, I guess we stayed out there till Kesha was about four. And then my mom was sick. So we went back to be with my mom until she passed away and then up in Indiana. And then we came back to Nashville, which is where I'd been Previously, and I just decided this was going to be a better place to have the two kids and be a staff writer. Like being a staff songwriter was a very, like I have no other skills. I can write songs, you know, and that's pretty much it. Like, there's really not anything else I could do. I've cleaned houses and I've waited tables, but other than that, that's pretty much my skill set. So came back here, and you know, I raised the kids being a staff songwriter, which you know, it was easy because in Nashville, you go in at 10 a.m., you write a song until like 2.30 or 3, and then you go. That's like what staff writers do. And you book yourself up for months in advance. And hopefully, you know, this is back in the day when you didn't have to work with an artist. And so that, and they pay you. So that's, you know, how the kids grew up with me writing songs. And I guess we were talking about love is what, where this all started. But the reality is you have to like be of this earth and you have to do all that stuff, especially, particularly when you have children, you have to raise them. You can't like, uh, you can go live in the woods and talk to the fairies, but you, you know, there's a certain amount of like, if you're going to be a responsible parent, you do need to send them to school and do some of the normal stuff and expose them to things, which I think I did a great job of exposing my children to, you know, a lot of things. And I work with like, for instance, a lot of gay people, like a lot of the best writers have always been the gay guys in in Nashville. I don't know if you're allowed to say gay anymore. Is that a bad word now?
1: I don't think so. I say it. And like, I identify as queer. So I'm like... (laughs) I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm just like a human. I'm like, why, why, like, label anything? People are like, you are pregnant and married. I'm like, and?
2: It's, gay used to be okay, but, and queer wasn't okay, but queer is okay now.
1: I guess queer is okay now. I think gay is okay still. I don't know. I think these are, like, everything changes every day now. It's like, what can you say? What can you not say? Like, what, like, everything is just so sensitive and everything is so raw. And I think people's emotions are like sitting on top of like, I think like every day, like there's like something to be triggered to like like for the last, you know, four years I wake up and I read the news and I'm like, Oh, ah, ah." it's just been wild. But I wanted to ask you if that was your first record deal, because it's really interesting, right? You get a record deal and then you go from that to writing for other people.
2: I had written for other people before because I came to Nashville when I was was 18 I think or 19 and met it immediately because I, somebody in New Hampshire where I lived in a school bus had said, Oh, there's this guy that used to live up here that lives in Nashville. His name is Scotty. You should go, you know, you're a singer. You should go to Nashville. So I, me and my yellow van with my dog Bernard, we, we pull into this guy's house, John Scott Sherrill. And I just go knock on his door, you know, the hippie in my combat boots and my old vintage dresses. And, you know, me and my my dog and like there, his wife comes to door and I'm like, oh, I'm PBM I'm from New Hampshire. Boy sent me. Boy was the guy that told me about Scotty. So, well, I mean, I'm like, can I stay here for a while? And, you know, I don't even. So we start playing in a band, basically. So and he turns out, John Scott Sherrill turns out to be a very well-known well-respected songwriter. But, you know, I came here to do that and ended up a few years later, meeting a guy one night, stayed drunk for an entire week and married him. His name's Hugh Moffat. That was our courtship. So he was a songwriter that had had some hits and he said, you know, you have to write for other people first. That's how you're going to maybe get a record deal is by writing for other people. Have a hit. Prove yourself as a writer and then people will be willing to maybe invest some money. You know, this is old school stuff, but you have a hit, you prove that, you know, your music is viable and then they might be interested in you as a, an artist. So I had written for other people, had some hits with Lacey J. Dalton and Dolly and this guy Joe Sun and a few things and then had moved on. Terry Gibbs, there are just some people that aren't even around that are just like barely like footnotes in country, you know, music, trivia kind of stuff.
1: Joe son, is it Jack son or Joe son? I can't remember. Joe
2: son. Joe, Joe Sun He's
1: got an amazing voice. I was listening to some of his work because I didn't realize that you wrote "Old Flames Can't Hold a Candle to You, Dear" for him before you wrote that for Dolly. So I was like, "Whoa."
2: Well, you know, it's like I wrote the song and I just, I was a waitress at this place, the old time pick and parlor was downtown. And one night, one of my ex boyfriends came in. And, you know, after my long courtship, my whole week, being drunk the whole week of this husband, it was shortly after that that, you know, one of my exes showed up at the bar and I told him what old flames can't hold a candle to you. And he's like, being another songwriter, he's like, you better go write that. And so I was not a fan of country music at all. But he said, that'd be a great country song. So I literally, over the next few months, wrote what I thought was the most cliche. You know, I was really like almost, I was trying to do something that I thought was almost a cliche. And it turned out to be one of the biggest songs of my career. And then he came in and helped me finish the second verse or. You know, as I recall, so then we played it out live and Joe Sun heard it and he was the a and R guy, or he was the guy that looked for songs for a band that was really famous at the time. Who were the Kendalls? They were big in the—I don't know. This would have been like probably late nineteen seventies. So it was a father and a daughter duo, the Kendalls. And Joe was out scouting at a writer's night for songs for them. And I think he played "Old Flames" for the Kendalls, and they didn't want it for whatever reason. So. That was the thing that he actually launched a career because the Kendalls. Didn't want the song and he was convinced it was a hit and he obviously must have wanted to be an artist as most people in the music business do. You know, people say, Oh yeah, I was a guitar player. I was a songwriter, but I'm just like this record promoter. It's like everybody in the music business is usually a frustrated artist in one way or another that either didn't have the personality to, to really pursue it or otherwise maybe they, tried it and it didn't work out. So here this guy like pretty much launched his career based on that song and convinced his record company that he worked for to let him put it out as a single. And it was a hit anyhow. So I experienced writing for other people. Then I finally, you know, I did what my ex-husband said, which was, do my due diligence, write for other people. And then, you know, I found my own voice and was working on that in LA and never officially signed the record deal. It was like still in process right about the time that we split up, which is when I sort of fell apart and moved to the crazy Valley house. And that was the birthplace of the Kesha Then we did come back here and kids were all raised here. Like I said, I was the staff writer. But, you know, that's the period of time when when you have children that you have to be a little bit, I suppose, more attached to, you know, the things of this earth because you're trying to like raise a competent human being. And which, I mean, I'm not so sure we really have to do everything that society tells us now we need to do because it's very cut and dried. this whole school and college and this, that and the other thing. And I think it's a little bit of a scam, all of it. You know, it's a little bit of a, you got to go to college so you can have that college debt. So you basically are hooked into the banking system before you've ever really opened your own eyes. Like you're already owe these guys a bunch of damn money.
1: You're programmed. You're programmed. programmed. And and it's just programmed from the start, like wake up early, go to school, follow directions, pain. Yeah.
2: And I don't think it's good, but I don't really, you know, I don't have the answer for the way out of it. I, but I just don't think it's good. And when my youngest son, well, because she didn't go to college. So my oldest son did, and he's used every bit of his education and become very successful. He got a master's in, the stuff he learned with his master's is what he's earning a living from. So that all worked out really great for him. But Kesha didn't go to college, and she's fine. And my youngest like, chose not to because, unfortunately, I was like so much more of a hippie by the time I adopted him when Kesha was 12. So someone offered me this healthy baby and I always knew I was supposed to have one more child. So I adopted him. And, and throughout that was his life was throughout the time when I had more money, more success. And we were on the road with Kesha for part of his, you know, upbringing. So he literally was raised on a tour bus and, you know, he, is not the same. And he's not fitting into society the same, but I'm not so sure if it's better or worse. It's just not the same.
1: I don't think there is an answer. And I think everybody has to find their own thing. And I think, you know, like I was reading somewhere, did Kesha get into Columbia? She had, she has a really high score.
2: Yeah. Yeah. She had high scores. She, I think she got into Barnard, not Columbia. And, and I think like Fordham, she got into a few places and it really was, um I know she was looking at, oh, I forget. Well, but yeah, she got into some Ivies, but, you know, we were on the fence, but she actually signed her deal, you know, right about the same time you'd make a college decision. So, and that was it. And, you know, she's even talked to me recently about maybe wanting to go back and, get a law degree which like she just mentioned that like a week or two ago and i'm like well okay
1: that would be amazing i'm actually thinking about going back to get like a master's or a phd i was like i want to go to harvard i was like maybe ai but like it's just it's just there's never enough information right like there's no set time i think you just like march to the beat of your own rhythm and like you go to school you don't go to school but there's not a formula and there's just like a path that they like shove you into and, and, and that's it. But everybody's different and everybody has their own rhythm. Yes.
2: Yes. And I mean, the thing that's different now, the way it was when I was younger is that like books were always there and available for those people who, wanted to go read and, you know, maybe like the level of knowledge was not available. The level of like, of truth, well, supposed truth, there's a lot of mistruth out there, but the internet brought, you can pick and choose through what you watch or hear or read and, and make your own determination about how much truth there is in anything which you have to do. But like a lot of stuff just wasn't available and I'm dyslexic. And so uh, reading has never been easy for me because of that. So, you know, now though, for me with the YouTube, with for like Audible, all these things where my own personal dis- disability, which like I finally diagnosed myself. Because nobody knew what, in 1960, like nobody knew what it was when a kid couldn't read, right? Because I wrote perfectly backwards. I'm left-handed. And when I would write everything, you could take it and put it in front of a mirror and you could read it. But nobody realized that that was associated with dyslexia. So when I had so much trouble reading and retaining, people didn't know that. The bottom line to me is if you just want to learn about things, I Feel like it's all available and very easy to digest. All you need is a Audible subscription, or you like YouTube. And I pay for the ten dollar a month, no ads, and like I can watch lectures. I can watch the smartest people in the world talk about just about anything.
1: My favorite is like I, I crank it up to one point seven five speed, so I can see it faster. <laughs> and like whenever I get in the car, my man is like, "We're not listening to like another book really, really fast." I'm like, "No, I'll." do it on my walk. <laughs> I'm like, fine. <laughs> but I'm just like, oh, I just, just get in my brain.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had Eckhart Tolle at like 1.5 today. It was an accident and it was so like not Eckhart Tolle to be like anything faster than one. <laughs> so, but... So the bottom line was when it's all said and done with me after raising these kids, everybody's out of the house. Like the bottom line for me is it's all about love. And for me, I have to stay really close in my recovery. I spend a lot of time in AA. Like I'm just good old-fashioned, fucking AA, 12-step program. I know they call it a cult, blah dotty dot, but it doesn't matter. If you have a brain like mine, and I'm like a full-fledged alcoholic, drug addict, but like you can go to one group that'll take care of both of those issues. I also have an eating disorder. If there's a way to have a disorder with something... I have it like I have the full package when they say, do you want this kid loaded? I'm loaded. Every disorder there is. I've got it. You
1: go hard. You go hard. You're very passionate.
2: Well, I don't have the sex addiction and I don't have gambling, so (laughs) I don't have those two, but pretty much everything else, the shopping, the the eating, the Al-Anon, which is like relationship addiction, just unhealthy Like my natural go-to is if there's a right and a wrong, my natural go-to is always the exact opposite of what correct is. So it's, you know, a daily struggle just to be me and to just not eat or drink myself to death or drug myself to death. That's like a daily thing right there. I start out on my knees in the morning just asking to let go and to allow something besides my brain to run my day because if I let my brain my brain is a very dangerous neighborhood you know the good things don't happen there so so it's just you know for me I've got to stay out of my head stay in my program and then you know now that I've kind of seen everything i've looked at life from both sides now i think who who wrote that song? i think that might have been um judy collins or joni mitchell they both sang it they looked at life from both sides now from up and down and still somehow it's clouds illusions yeah that i think that might have been judy collins but
1: i have to google it i'll google it after the show But yeah, I remember it. I just, I can't remember who did it.
2: No, I know Judy. I think maybe Judy Collins wrote it. um, But Joni Mitchell, definitely two of my idols. Like, those are my idols. Those were the people I aspired to be. Joni Mitchell is still my, to this day, my idol. Like, people, like, I don't really pay much attention to anybody. Joni Mitchell just sort of did it for me. So if you're not Joni Mitchell You're just not Joni Mitchell in my book.
1: (laughs) Joni Mitchell is incredible. Who else? Who else were your influences?
2: Pretty much Joni Mitchell. Like, I love the Eagles. And there is another guy who died, unfortunately, pretty young, named Dan Fogelberg. Like, I wore out a few of the same record. He had one called... I don't know, it was his, like, main record that I wore that thing out and his songwriting style and the way, Um, when I was in high school, like, I loved Elton John, uh, but mostly Joni Mitchell was definitely, like, my go-to idol for a songwriter. And I don't think I've ever even gotten close to one Joni Mitchell song and the level of brilliance.
1: I think you're your own Joni Mitchell. I don't, you know, it's like comparing like something that's really wonderful to something else that's really wonderful.
2: Yeah, it's just, you know, another person. uh, I mean, I really think Dolly is just like, she's done probably the best job of anybody in my eyes of, you know, aging gracefully and like just continuing to like do different things and like just from that fame thing like she's maintained a very nice image throughout her career and her life and not tried to look like she was 20 and not date guys that she's old enough to be their grandmother all that stuff really turns me off but I I've gotten less and less like I'm to the point where I literally do not listen to music but I don't want like really subscribe to anything except like you know, alien podcasts. I do like aliens. I do Eckhart Tolle. That's pretty much my interest. I, I think we talked a little about how I went to contact in the desert the year before last, I think, I don't know the years of all like sort of mushed together. Thanks to COVID. I guess it was.
1: Yeah, it was last year because I just finished a really exhausting freelance gig. I was running a team and it was like three months of just like, just, crack outness and he was like take me to the desert <laughs> i'm going to palm springs for two weeks and i'm just floating in a pool and like mm. and they have cannabis everywhere which i love and i was like get yep. me to every dispensary <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and let me like rehabilitate myself oh we went to see Matis yahoo too when he was on the desert so he played at i that, don't even know who- he, he's like a he used to be like a reggae hasidic rapper He's really great, oh, wow. and like I don't know what he's going by now, but like he played at that place in Joshua Tree that's in the middle of nowhere, and it was like it was weird because I love Yahoo, but then like the crowd was really weird. It was like it was like dudes that would like beat you up, <laughs> and I oh, was wow. like, I was like, <laughs> what is this crowd? Because like this is not like a reggae piece. This is like Nazis and <laughs> from the desert. Yeah.
2: Well, there you go. That's what you get out there in the desert. It's a little, little bit of a scary group out there. Yes.
1: And I was like, I was like I'm going to leave the concert early because I was like, I feel like my man It's,
2: yeah, the meth heads, uh, the desert, You yeah, definitely its own crowd. I mean, I love the desert and I love those weirdos, like, as long as they don't scare me. But when they're scary, it's another thing. And, you know, I mean, it was... Even though I was very shocked at the contact in the desert, that there were, it was a like big time Republican thing. And I'm not a Republican by any stretch of the imagination. And there were people literally like one of the main guys, uh, David Wilcox was talking about Trump. And I was like, oh my God, no. What is, like, I was just, you know, I thought I'd be with a bunch of hippie liberals and that is not what it was. So. That is so interesting. I was very shocked. Very shocked. That is so interesting. Don't know if I would go back because, you know, things are so polarized right now that I just can't, You know, and for me, when I say, you know, as far as like, I'm all about love. Anybody that's doing anything trying to spread more fear, I, you know, I'm sorry, I don't think we should have guns. Hate me for saying that. Maybe they needed guns when this country got started because there were like, wild animals and you know i mean you're and they were taking somebody else's land (laughs) yeah we're like raping and pillaging like we need to protect ourselves from the people like that we stole their shit you know so but we don't need guns anymore i'm sorry we don't need a gun and i'm like not with anybody that thinks we need guns I'm And I'm not with anybody that wants to spread fear. And I can't really be in a room full of those kind of people. I don't even want to be because I feel like the planet's evolving. And I feel like either we're going to have to evolve to a way of peace and love, get rid of the guns, get rid of the weapons, get rid of the wars, or we are going to perish. This planet will end. Stupid people with weapons that want to kill each other, will lead to the end of this planet. It's disgusting, everything that we're doing and the fact that nobody sees it and nobody gives a shit. I'm just thankful that I'm going to die before it probably ends. But I feel bad. And it's not going to be long. Like, we either have to make some really drastic changes very soon or it won't be long before... You know, this planet will end because there is enough food. There's enough everything for everybody. And it's just these criminals, these corporate criminals who don't pay taxes, city banks. Amazon. None of those people, they don't pay any taxes. I pay taxes. I literally like somebody didn't pay my taxes for a while. And like the big, one of the biggest checks I ever got, I had to turn straight over to the IRS. Like I paid my taxes. So I I paid like 40%
1: like last year for New York, taxes, And I was like 40%.
2: Where is it going? But Amazon, Amazon, they pay nothing. Citibank pays nothing nothing and everybody is also
1: moving to texas because they're like we want to be free and california has too many legislations and and i'm like everything is it's insanity but you know it is all about love and it's like people have to get with a program because the old program is not working you know that the original peace sign that was the original denuke sign like when you do signs like landing an airplane that's apparently like denuke i i don't know i was like what am i gonna do in a few years i was like i want to denuclearize the planet but i was like i have this little dream that i'm gonna like go in front of the un and like really advocate for denuking because nobody nobody's doing it women aren't doing it and i'm like well maybe it's up to women to just have rational voices these days like and just you know maybe it's like mothers against denuking but i'm like the fact that we have nukes is insane,
2: and you know that the aliens—that's the thing that a lot of these aliens crafts have. I've been way, going way down, you know, the rabbit hole with the alien videos uh, about some of the things that have happened. Like this one guy, Jeremy—I think it's Corbell—was I was following him down a rabbit hole. Like they had people go to Russia, you know, and get involved and go get into the Russian like nuclear system the army try to get and the russian nuclear system as well as americans have been shut off by these alien crafts like they don't want us to have nuclear bombs they know we have no business with them like at all
1: i think we're just like a low-level war planet and everybody avoids us and i'm sure there's intelligent life out there yeah And I'm sure they're just like, oh, man, those people are crazy. Like We're the
2: bad neighborhood. We are. We're the the bad bad neighborhood neighborhood with the toothless inbred people that like they're like, oh, God, don't go there unless you just want to like it's like the Jerry Springer show.
1: It is they're like we're going to be killed. They're like if you stop the if you stop the car in this neighborhood, we're going to get killed. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Do not get out. <laughs> Go to the nice neighborhood. Venus is nicer. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's like I'm sure they're conscious people here. I'm like I know they're nice people here, but like, man, our welcoming committees are just yeah, not,
2: not good. It's not good and
1: not good. <laughs>
2: You know, and I did in one of my past life regressions, you know, I know I'm jumping all over the place. I did do a regression where I actually saw myself on another planet and I was this thing. And at that point in time, I hadn't done enough research into aliens to even like, have had this in my mind, but I was this thing that I looked like either a raisin or a turd, but I was this brown thing. So the kids used to, to laugh at me and, you know, fr- and say I was from the third dimension my, my youngest son and his friends said, yeah, mom's from the turd dimension. Cause I was looked like this pile of crap basically. But in my past life, I was sitting on this, this white chaise lounge. And there was like a bunch of these white chaise lounges and all these turds. We just sat there and we didn't like really do anything, but we could see and hear everything and know everything. And there was like a white screen in front of us. And we just, sat there and kind of took in everything that was going on in the universe and knew everything and just existed. And we weren't hungry or thirsty or whatever. And I apparently volunteered to come down here to help the animals. So this is my past life regression. So they put me in a spaceship and they took, you know, the sucky things at the bank, when you go to the bank and you put your money in the sucky thing that gets sucked up. Well, basically, so the spaceship, I was my little turd self on the spaceship. And then they had the the thing that looks like the bank cylinder thing. And they're like, okay, you're going to go down here. So in this past life thing, I come down the little tube, like the bank tube, and they plop me off in front of this store with like a spinning like candy cane thing. So it was a barber shop, And I looked down and, and I'm like, oh, my God, I have these things. It was feet cause I hadn't had feet before. And I'm looking like standing outside this barbershop, looking at these people inside the barbershop, these men, they're talking and laughing. And I'm like this girl with like long braids and it was like sometime in the 1800s. And so I don't know what happened to that life, you know, but I was sent here to Apparently, I volunteered to come here to do help the animals. And I thought, like, when I was a turd at, on the good planet, I thought, well, this will be easy, like, piece of cake. I'm going to come here, poof, you know, we'll have it all like taken care of. And no. It's not been easy. So, this all leads me to even when I was a little kid, when I was on the farm, when I first decided I was going to be a musician, my parents couldn't have more kids. So, the only thing I ever had were dogs. Well, eventually, my parents adopted my sister, but from birth till she came at six, it was just animals. Like, I had a barn full of animals and I had dogs. And so, basically, I've come full circle now. And, um, like here trying to do my mission with the dogs, which have always been, you know, where my heart was, but raising children is, it's a job. And I had to run down that road with Kesha, the fame road and, you know, see and feel and taste and smell everything that was there. Just, just to know that, like, at least for me, there's nothing, in that world for me i mean yeah it looks fun and yeah and it is fun to not stand in the lines sometimes you know like we lived that life for a while like i don't think that would be the life we'd live anymore but you know there was a time in her career where she was like the big thing and you know i lived that life and it was You know, because I had had my chance as an artist and kind of fallen apart. So it was like, well, a part of me was the ego that wanted that life, wanted to experience that life, that world. And I have, and it was fun, you know, and I can see why anybody would. But the bottom line is there's more unhappiness that comes with that. Overall, I would say that it was more of a, like a car wreck than it was winning the lottery. I mean, not that winning the lottery is even a good thing. Like the thing I've realized is that whatever is going on is really what is a good thing and learning to be okay with whatever that is. Living through the fame and fortune was definitely fun, but I would so much rather spend a day with Kesha out in my garden. Like her and I were out there weeding and picking flowers and like, we made flower arrangements and we write, we write really well. And one of my passions still other than the animals and like my family, my grandkids, but one of my passions is still to write a great song. And we Thank God for for Zoom because we've been working on a record, even though she's in LA and I'm here. And you know, we have great writers that we are partners with that we've worked with for years. So and you know, and we're all so familiar with each other that it works. Like it wouldn't work. I don't feel like with a stranger to write that way, but with these very special people, it works. And Kesha and I like we've always had this relationship where. Even when she was a kid, like when she was a teenager, we'd have huge fights about this, that, or the other thing. But when it was time to sit down and try and write, like that has always been our place. And when we both got out of treatment a few years ago, like we had some years that were not good between us as mother and daughter. We really had to reestablish some healthy boundaries with each other. But even throughout that, there were times we weren't even talking, but we could show up at a writing appointment and bitch at each other in the parking lot and like call each other names and then walk in, do the writing appointment and then walk out and continue the fight, calling each other names in the parking lot and go on. And I'd go to a hotel, but you know, it's just, thank God we've always been able to maintain that writing connection. So, so I still love to write, but my passion definitely, when you first asked me about this podcast, I just have to tell you it made me actually start this project that I've been talking about. And I've had in the works in my head for like at least 10 years called the magic mission. And when I, You first asked me, I think I listened to somebody you'd had on who'd done some big thing, and I was like, wait a minute, I'm not even going to answer her back until I start my thing because I'm so ashamed of myself for just... And I know that's not a good feeling, but it's like, what the fuck are you waiting for? Like, what the fuck are you waiting for to start it?
1: That's a great no-doubt song, right? Like, Gwen Stefani wrote that song like... Dun, 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 you stupid girl dun, like Brett. what the fuck right wait, and I was like I, was bad and I, I heard that song it's a song and like the whole thing it's like what are you waiting for you stupid girl And I'm like yeah right like just I was like and I think I was in college and I was like great what am I waiting for
2: I don't even know that song I mean I probably know it but the point is so I finally took that jump like I didn't want to even do this podcast till I did it because this is what I want to be doing. And I like, it's my true, true, like if I want to leave before I leave this world, I want to create this Central American street dog foundation because I have traveled so much. We traveled so much in Central and South America. My son was in the Peace Corps in Honduras and I've seen so much of like, you know, the way animals are treated there. It's just, it's really just terrible. And I think a lot of it just has to do with, it's not the culture there, but it doesn't take a lot to change, you know, the culture and just to learn to, you know, that whole machismo thing about not neutering males and stuff like that. So You know, before I die, I literally bought, that's my mission is I have four street dogs. I think three or four of them are here right now. The first one was one I found on Magic, which we were, my son was in, Lagan was in uh, the Peace Corps in, in Honduras. So we went to one of the islands while we were there visiting him and kind of fell in love with the island and bought some land there. So we would go back to Utila, Honduras every year to visit and we were getting to know the community and planned on building a house there someday, which could happen now, maybe again, because now there is a organization that I was not a part of creating, but I'm jumping into helping them. But the story is we would go there and there were so many tragic, like starving, dying animals everywhere that I just couldn't, you know, in the end, I couldn't go back because every year I'd spend the whole vacation, you know, with bags of dog food driving all over the island, like crying because there were so many sad cases of animals that just needed mange medicine or whatever. But the one year we were there and this little puppy covered in oozing mange that was all bloated, like was like literally trying to walk in the street and was like dying in front of me. And I picked her up with a towel because she was so disgusting because she was so covered in mange and took her back and like took her on the ferry to a vet on the mainland. And basically my son's like, oh, some of my friends who've had dogs here in Honduras when they leave the Peace Corps, no, but you can't get a dog back, he said. So don't even try. And that was all it took. So the next, for the next, I paid for this dog to be cared for at this vet. So it took me like probably six weeks to figure out a way to get this animal from that vet back to Tennessee. And it was, I couldn't speak Spanish. And it was like, I had to find the airline and they're like, Oh yeah, you know, this airline will fly, but you have to call and talk to Juan and you'd call Juan's phone number, which was in Honduras. And, Like Juan didn't speak English, and you'd hear babies crying and chickens. And so I'd have to go to a Mexican restaurant to get somebody to talk to Juan. It was just this whole, like, huge ordeal. And finally, I got magic. And um, so my project is the magic mission. And it's, you know, basically, I want to just bring about change to these Central American countries through staying and neutering, through education, through, you know, going into the schools and just talking to kids about pet ownership. But also I do want to have a big website, which it's, I'm just beginning to get this all, like, sorted out. We're going to start probably with this rescue on Utila that somebody else has made called Jaspers and we're going to get these, the adoptable dogs up on a website and Kesha is going to help us raise money and publicize these dogs. And then there's, I'm working with another lady in Panama because I went to Panama like three years ago for the nice family vacation. We were supposed to rent a nice house, no dogs. Like Everybody's like, we're going to get away from the dogs because when they come to Granny's house, it's like just massive amounts of dogs. There's usually at least 10 dogs, and it's all about the dogs. So we're going to go on this nice family vacation. We get to our house, and what's at the caretaker's house, like that's right in front of our house, is three not just puppies, but dying puppies. So my daughter-in-law, Lagan's wife, Sandra, helped me the entire time we're supposed to be, I'm supposed to be laying on the beach playing with my grandchildren. I'm like taking these puppies to get them shots and getting a dog house and setting up somebody to bring them food and blah di da da And eventually they became healthy enough to give their shots. And then I flew back with two of my friends and brought them home to give them two nice homes, which ended up being me and my home because they're all still here. <laughs> so, uh, so I am working with the ex vice president of Panama's wife, whose name is Ana Grethel de Lewis, who has a rescue that needs help in Panama. So all these are going to fall under the heading of the magic mission. And I'm just trying to, I'm a great business person when it comes to music business, but I really don't, I'm smart and I'm, I know I can figure it out, but I'm just trying to wrap my head around how to get these nonprofits up and running. But I know that with the help, the main thing we will have, which I think, you know, is going to be a big part of all of it is we have celebrities kesha is going to be willing to help publicize and you know i know ariana i know taylor all these people so hopefully we can use these people be willing to come on board and just you know ask people to donate or ask you know make these websites available so next time somebody wants to get a pet instead of getting a doodle for $3,000, you can get a street dog for $2,000. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I want to make uh, Central American street dogs, the new blabber you know, because really once you've had a street dog, you'll never go back to a regular dog because they're they're so smart. They're, they're and smart. they're just—they just have a different temperament. And the m- most gratitude of any animal I've ever ever seen. Like they know you saved them, and they never, ever, ever will let you forget that they know it. So it's just a beautiful thing, and they have my heart. And so that's—you know—I want to write enough songs mm-hmm. to be able to support my dog addiction, basically.
1: You know, dreams into reality and thoughts are things. And if you can think it, you can do it.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And really, that's all the other great thing that I mean, the pandemic is tragic and horrible. But because of pandemic, my son, who went to an office in New York City, the office isn't operating anymore. And he came to visit me and the house next door to me was for sale. He now has his office in my basement and my grandchildren are 165 feet from my door. So it's just like literally probably, you know, if I had a dream to to be in the position I am spiritually and you know emotionally and to have the beautiful family i have and to have my grandkids next door and to be able to work on this animal project and still write great songs with my daughter i mean it's all pretty great like i feel like very full i think at one point in time i felt like a victim for whatever reason in my own stupid head just cuz that's what we do we make ourselves we make up stories about ourselves and That story is not who I am anymore. It probably never was who I was, but I needed that story to become the person I am now. You know, I just feel so full of wisdom, which is great. It's just a beautiful thing to get old and have this wisdom. And I'm just hoping to, you know, do the best I can with it while I can do something with it. And I'm sure it's not going to leave me. I, you know, I have no illusion that this is the end of anything, but I want to use this incarnation to do as much as I can.
1: Well, you're spreading love, right?
2: Well, that's what I'm trying to do.
1: I mean I mean there's you know, there's a reason I named my podcast Dream Nation Love because first I was like, ooh, I'm gonna name a Dream Nation. I was like, ah, there are other Dream Nations. But I'm like, I'm really focused on dreams and getting people to do their dreams and connecting connecting people, right? Because Yoko Ono has this amazing quote. I love speaking of musicians, I love Yoko Ono. Like, love her. I, I did an interview with her in like nineteen ninety-nine. She's amazing too. She's an artist, but she has this quote that says a dream you dream alone is just a dream. A dream you dream together is a reality. So I'm all about connecting people too. And I was like, well, it's going to be Dream Nation love because love just fuels everything. And like you you have a dream out of love. Like everything, everything, there's always love at the end. So people are like, Dream Nation love. I'm like, yeah.
2: Yeah, love is really like, really people, I think the cleaner you get and the closer you get, to like who you truly are as a human, once you strip away all the rest of the stuff, like all the stuff that we're, the ways we distract ourselves with everything from social media, everything on this phone, this thing that we all carry around, like if you can put that thing down and like just be uh, alone with yourself and look at your surroundings and be at peace with like what really is and like feel love. Like that's, you know, that's when I know I'm writing a great song when there's sometimes I'll just like, love just makes me feel like I want to cry. Like when things are, you know, I don't know why, but it's just emotion. And when I'm writing a great song and it's, I start feeling like I want to cry. No, it's, that's love. And for me, love is God. Like, I don't know whatever the spirit of the universe is, what, It is love. It's not fear. It's not hate. It's not guns. It's not death. It's not nukes. What is, is love. And that's, I think what makes animals, dogs in particular, so, you know, close to my heart, dog spelled backwards is God, you know, and they're just pure love, pure love.
1: It's so true. Yeah. I love animals. I mean, animals are pure love, right? I mean, dogs, dogs, especially, and like, I mean, like, I wouldn't say like a bear is pure love, because <laughs> he might eat me. <laughs> yeah. But like, I do love animals, and I do love animals so much. But I was also thinking about how, how you were talking about fame, and how like, at the end, there's really nothing, because at the end of the day, you go to sleep, everything goes away, you know, the tour is over, you know, and then like, you need animals around you need your tribe you need your love because at the end it's like what are you doing what are you doing all of this for
2: well yeah all the stuff that comes with fame it's like all it's not important like it's like stuff with names on it like literally like a piece of material that says gucci or says versace or says whatever like that's meaningless stuff like that has no meaning on the planet at all in any realm, like if they came back and like looked at us a thousand years from now, and they'd say, "Yeah, look at this person. They were happy because they had this piece of dead cow that had this stamp on it." Like my trainer today was saying that. Had I heard of some purse named I forget what he called it, but he said they were thirty thousand dollars a purse because, like, it's a piece of leather with some like stamp on it. Yeah. that cost $30,000 yeah, the, like,
1: or whatever.
2: Like, I, I don't even know what it is.
1: You know, I, I have a cloth bag and I lived in New York for 15 years. So I wore <laughs> things that like, do not get me mugged. And I'm very happy. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? A purse does not define me. I do not judge my worth by like somebody's stamp. And like, you know what? I've got enough self-worth to just like, not to like, I'll take that money and I'll invest it in real estate or something smart. What am I going to do with a purse?
2: You know, give it to a charity. Like, I mean, like, I I won't carry leather anyhow. I don't want it. Why would I want to carry a dead animal? I mean, but if around with me, like, what does that say about me? That I like really, there's not something cloth. Like, I won't carry or wear leather or any of that stuff because Gandhi and all these people, all the, you know, Eastern holy people, like they won't wear leather when you're, if you're practicing, I suppose, I don't know if it's Buddhism. I think it is, but when you're a monk, you don't wear leather. You don't eat meat, you know, and I aspire not to say I'm a monk. I'm, the first, I'm like a truck driver, more like a hillbilly truck driver than a monk. But I mean, I just choose not to do those things because you know then i'm being hypocritical if i'm here for the animals why would i want to eat them or wear or, them or t- so. torture
1: why would why would i want to like torture another thing when i don't have to like because i'm like you know what yeah. today i'm in this position but someday like some aliens are going to come down they're going to be like you're going to make a nice purse and i'm going to be like me <laughs> a gucci purse <laughs> oh my god they're going to make me into a purse. <laughs> So, like, you know like you know per- you'd be a nice purse I, I would be a, I would be very comfy and very useful I would be a very utilitarian <laughs> purse but like I, I, you know I think I love what you're doing for the animals on, on this planet because I they think there are not enough people thinking how you're thinking you know unfortunately I think people are thinking about Gucci purses and they think that like if I have money I'm going to spend it on a purse and, like, that's going to make me, like, a better person or something instead of, like, actually taking that money and donating it to making somebody else's life better.
2: Yeah, that's actually true. (laughs) Make somebody's life better. If you don't want to donate it to a dog, like... Donate it. There's plenty of organizations, you know, for kids, like I like to go to the smaller organizations. I'm not a fan of the big ones. They waste way too much money advertising. You know, I'm sorry, PETA and those people, like they like bombard my mailbox and I like will address this stuff and and send it back to them. And I say, if you would stop wasting money in this, I would give you money. But since you won't, I'm going to give it directly to an organization where it's going to go straight to the animals. Which is like I gave five hundred dollars to feed the starving dogs on this island in Honduras because there's no been no tourism, the people are starving. I get that, but I'm choosing to give this money to help the dogs because you know, nobody's worried about the animals in this situation. They're going to let the animals die, which like, I'm just choosing that that's where I want my money to go, which, you know, some people might think I'm a bad person because I would give it to the animals rather than the people, but I can do that.
1: I think so. I think it's like, I think everybody needs to be doing their own thing and that's how the world kind of like evens out. You know, there's somebody supporting orphans, there's somebody supporting dogs, and everybody has their own unique diverse thing and hopefully together we make the planet a little nicer. But I was going to ask you where can you find Magic Mission? Like how can people get in touch and and all those details if people want to find out more
2: magic mission is going to have a Facebook page very soon. I'm not a Facebook person, but I'm making a Facebook page for magic mission. So that should be up and running soon. I'm also going to get a website and I think it'll be magicmission.org. I think that's the um, name we have. So I was, you know, thinking it'd be better to wait until I had all this organized to even come on a podcast. But the thing is, it's in progress. And hopefully if you Google PBC, Bert, you know, there'll be links to it. But I'm officially, hopefully, very soon going to have something that will be like my first offshoot of the magic mission since I'm trying to get all my status, you know, in place to be a 501c3. So I'm, you know, tax deductible. While all that's in progress, I'm going to be working with Jasper's Rescue on Utila, Honduras. So it's a Jasper's Animal Rescue. Uh, in Utila, Honduras, you can connect to that. But kesh and I hopefully very soon are going to be doing a little campaign fundraiser with them and get some dogs up on a website for adoption. Because I know a lot of the places in the U.S. are out of dogs because everybody and their brother has adopted dogs through this pandemic, which I think is the best thing ever. I think, you know, breeding more designer dogs is maybe not the way to go. Maybe for people who wanna be a little bit more, what would I say? It's a little bit more like recycling, be a little bit more just to to use what's already available. There's a lot of animals available. So, and and really you can, for what it costs to get, like these designer dogs, I think with even the transportation, you can probably get a dog from a place like Jasper's, which I just looked at some of the adorable, dogs that they had and it's just like they're beautiful it'll be something like you can go down there I think as of October 1st and pick your own dog up you know the island's opening back up for tourism for the first time but if not you can have street dogs shipped to you there's also a good friend of mine that runs a the Cozumel and Humane Society there's tons of uh, dogs available on that website. So I'm just going to try and get everything organized. I'm not there yet, but it's at least in progress.
1: I love it. PB. I have so much fun talking to you because I feel like you and I can just sit here and we can go for like five hours. And like, what I love about you is that like, I don't even say anything. I just, I let you go and you interview yourself. I'm like, this is the best. <laughs> this is the best one. I don't have to like pull for like more information because you're just like, you're going and you're so hyper and you're so present and you're so in it. Well, thank you. And you're such an, and you're such an interesting person. So you have a lot of things to talk about because you have a lot of experiences.
2: I'm very passionate. I think that's the thing. I'm very passionate. Like I love my life. I'm so excited about it. Like I don't want it to be over. And I just can't imagine waking up and ever being bored. My brain is not boring.
1: I've never been bored in my whole entire life. I'm an only child and people are are like, I'm bored. I'm like, I wish I had your lifetime to Google things on the internet and like draw things. And like
2: anything.
1: I'm like, I'm never bored. I like, I go for a walk and I look at things from a different angle. Like, I don't know what boring is.
2: I don't know. Boring
1: people are bored.
2: (laughs) I guess that's what it is. I guess like you just have to be, I mean, I feel like creative people, like, cause you know, I can always create. And I think being creative is, and I'm not just talking about music. Like, I used to love as a kid to go pick through, there's a dump near the house and I'd go pick through the dump and I'd like come glue a bunch of stuff together and make art or whatever. So there's, you know, it's never boring.
1: It's never boring. You just have to figure out something to do and like become passionate about it. But I'm so excited and I'm so excited for magic mission because oh, a you. lot of amazing doggies are going to have their life changed. They're going to have their dream come true.
2: I hope. Well, you're about to have a magic mission. your little magic mission right there
1: oh my god i sneezed so hard yesterday that i like pulled a rib and i was like did i just stab my baby with my rib and i was like no i'm sure it's fine
2: absolutely
1: but i'm so excited because i'm like she's gonna be so creative and like just to transfer the gifts that i have like just to do a knowledge dump like i'm really interested to see what this little person is gonna have and like, what opportunities she's gonna have that I didn't, and that my mom didn't, and that my grandma didn't. Like, my grandma lived through World War Two. She had like four kids. Like, you know, she couldn't really chase her dream. Her dream was like, let's get to America.
2: Yeah, yeah. Let's eat. <laughs>
1: let's eat. And I'm like, it's just, it's mind blowing to start thinking about that. I I moved here when I was ten from Russia, and like, oh really? Yeah. So like, I grew up in like, <laughs> communist Russia. So I mean. It's just really, it's a trip. I'm like,
2: how did that, well, I, how did that happen?
1: You know what? My uncles moved here before us 20 years. My uncle came here. He couldn't get a job because we're, we're Jewish. So we couldn't get jobs in Russia. So they were um, Reagan, Reagan. <laughs> the mm-hmm. one thing that Reagan did that I love, he right. said, release all the Jews to America. And Russia was like, see you later because we don't want them here. And we were like, that's us.
2: Good. <laughs> that is
1: us. We're leaving. We don't want to be here so so you can go to israel or america and i and my mom was like well i don't want her to be in the army so let's go to america but then my uncles got to leave before us because they got like the okay to go so they came here and they like drove cabs the whole like russian story right, right. but then um my uncle is a really brilliant textile engineer and he got a job at united surgical and he became like Basically a VP of Johnson & Johnson and he invented dissolving stitches at some point. Oh wow. at United Surgical. So it's like the crazy immigrant story, right? It's like you can do anything in Russia and you're smart, but they won't let you apply your talent. So you go. And now we're here and then, ooh, I digress, but like this podcast is about you.
2: <laughs> no, no, I love, I love that. But so you, but you didn't come till you were 10?
1: I didn't come till I was 10, so I had to like learn English and stuff and you know, like when it comes to dreams, like I just have this different perspective because I see the dreams of my mom and my grandma and I see the dreams of immigrants and I see how hard people have to work. And I see, you know, like as an immigrant and I have a single mom, too. So whenever you're describing your dynamic with Kesha and I was like, oh, that's my mom and I like we will just, <laughs> we would fight, but we love each other. My, uh, my man saw us like have an argument once and he was like, I was ready to break up with you because I thought you were a monster. And then he was like, oh no, you guys love each other. You guys just, you guys have like a weird
2: dynamic. Well, and you know, as a single parent, that's like, I have that with all my kids because Mm -hmm. it's not going to be the same as if there were a third party here. So, you know, they're, it's just yeah it's it is a weird dynamic and like Kesha's boyfriend it freaked him out like he's like wow you guys like I'm waiting for somebody to pull a gun out and start kill each other and he's like you guys like just do it and like go on like it's just the way it is
1: but it's also like I don't know if your dynamic is the same but it's also like the relationship switch roles so you're like who's the mom who's the parent who's the parent who's the mom <laughs> it's like different times it's a, and then it's like, it's like, are you a sister mom? Like, it's totally a trip and I love it. And I, I have this relationship with my mom and it's so special. and I'm so grateful for it. But it's like, you know.
2: Where does she live? How far away is she from you now?
1: Now, now I'm living 15 minutes away and we have boundaries. So she's allowed to come over once a week.
2: <laughs> oh, that's it? Oh my God. <laughs> and just wait till that baby comes and then it's going to be Okay. Never mind. Nothing's going to get any of my energy except this baby.
1: <laughs> I know it's going to be exciting, but it's like, oh, it's just, it's all surreal. It's a little soul, right? She's, she's probably teleporting in from uh, the third
2: dimension. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, she's, if there's anything that's going to truly like, make your life richer and probably take you in directions that you've never dreamed of going, you know, that's what they do. Like the, you know, the people I met because my kids played baseball or because of school or because of this or that, like I'm hanging out with these army people, you know, I'm like the biggest, like crazy hippie in the world. And I'm hanging out with these like career army Republicans, you know, and it's just, you know, and I was great friends with those people. As long as we don't talk politics, we're fine.
1: (laughs) It opens up your world. Yeah, You know, you hope that you're kind of like comets, just bouncing off people. And you hope, you hope somehow you'll have a conversation with somebody and maybe their conversation will influence you or your conversation will influence them. I don't know. It's all, it's all just like, it's all love.
2: Yeah, it is. And my, my mom came from um, Hungary as well. So I'm first generation. I think I, told you as well, but it turns out that the Hungarians, we thought they were Hungarians. And then I did the 23andMe and it's actually Russian, Croatian, Polish, Ukraine, Ukraine. So that's where they're from and Poland. Like there's not like the 23andMe, even though we're from, from Hungary. And we've been to the town and met the relatives. Like that, for sure, was a thing. There's like zero Hungarian blood in them. It's just all these other Russian, Croatian, and Polish blood. So
1: that's so interesting, right? Because you're like, was anybody musical? My like, it's so because people. It's just a different time zone, yeah. but people are still the same. Yeah. Like people are like, that was so long ago. I'm like, nothing has changed. We have exactly the same feelings. We might have Facebook now, but right? Like, right. Nothing, nothing is different. People are still people and, you know, people are just trying to love and survive. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly.
1: But thank you so much, Phoebe. I can talk to you forever, for hours. I just want to thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so grateful that you took the
2: time out of the day to chat. Oh God, it's been great. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for tuning into the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Dream Nation Love. It's not Dream Nation Podcast, it's Dream Nation Love, because I think my single mission in life is to teach people how to love a little bit more, and together we can save the world. So it's Dream Nation Love, share it with your friends, have a great day, and go out and make the world a better place.